Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Support for today's show comes from the Life is Good Ping podcast. Join co-founders of Life is Good, Bert and John Jacobs, as they talk to influential musicians, athletes, business leaders, and everyday people about the role of optimism in their lives. They'll also end each episode with a ping pong charity challenge where the winner gets to donate to their charity of choice. The Life is Good Ping podcast kicks off Thursday, June 13th with the legendary Ringo Starr. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes, and add some good vibes to your day. Merch Table was founded by artists just like you. We've slept on floors, played for everyone and no one, broken up, gotten back together, and taken everything we learned along the way to build a group of people who put creativity first so you can play while we work. Visit MerchTable.com to learn more about our merchandising and online store solutions. Hello, everybody. How are you doing this month of June? Hopefully you are gearing up for some sort of summer activity, whether that's like a vacation or whether it's just, you know, hanging out on the beach a little bit more than what you might normally do on a day-to-day basis. Or if you don't live near a beach, I'm trying to make sure I'm catching all of these things. You know, maybe you get to go to a place that has like, you know, indoor swimming pools, even though those things are... I don't know, they're kind of musty, right? Like you feel, you feel a little bit like a sauna in there. But anyways, I'm actually on vacation myself, uh, hanging out in Lake Tahoe. It's hanging out with the family. It's uh, very nice. I like it here. I haven't been here in, oh man, 15 plus years, but uh, you know, it's very pretty. That's why I understand why people come here. And then plus like, you know, there's mountains and other stuff that you can do here, but fun stuff indeed. Uh, I am Ray Harkins. I'm your ever-present host, bringing you discussions with people who are involved in independent music in a very deep, deep way, and more specifically kind of, you know, the punk, hardcore, indie rock stuff. Today is James Bullock's day. And who is James Bullock? You're like, I don't know if I've heard that name. How about the Human Furnace, right? From Ringworm, the vocalist of Ringworm. Whew, so excited to have him on the show. They actually have a new record out on uh, Relapse. It's really, really good. Check it out. And frankly, check out all of their records because they are um, a very consistent band. You know, every couple of years, ever since they started, you know, putting out records again, um, just they just continue to not reinvent the wheel, but just basically be able to put other cool stuff on that wheel that make you like, wow, man, this this band is still pissed. This band's still doing it. I love it. So uh, I had him on the show, and I was very very happy about that. I'll talk more about him in a moment, but you need to understand how thankful I personally am for you as a listener. Like I'm talking to you right in your ear holes right now. I really appreciate it because this show has been existing for almost seven years. And I think that uh, oftentimes when we put this creative art out in the world, whether it's like, you know, bands or whether it's like, you know, <laughs> an Instagram feed or whatever it is, there the, the time to stop and like be thankful is, is very rare. And I, I don't think that um, maybe I do as good of a job expressing the thanks. I mean, granted, yes, it's a very limited lift for you, the consumer, you know, you download a free thing, you know, but there are people who take the extra steps, whether it's like, you know, 
sending an email or whether it's being like, hey, do you have a PayPal I can donate? Like there are all these these avenues that people kind of go above and beyond. And I'm just like, listen, this thank you so much. Just your support of it is is all that I really ever intended of wanting when I first put this out. And the fact that I'm able to make some money off this, the fact that we're able to build a community around this show in many different respects, and frankly, share so many people's stories because that is why I do this whole thing. You know, it's not to to further a, a particular agenda. It's not to be like a journalist. I just love to document these people's stories. And uh, you, can you tell people about this? Because I want to make sure that all of the people that should know about this do know about this. And not just like, you know, dipping in for like, you know, uh, one episode every like seven months. It's like, I want you to be a regular listener, like, you know, maybe two episodes a month. Can I ask, can I ask that of you? (laughs) But I have been noticing a recent uptick as far as, you know, interactions with people, reviews on iTunes, whatever it is, it's, it's really, really appreciated by me. Cause I, I recognize all this stuff. I, I, it's just me, you know, it's me and one other person, my good friend, Dave, who helps me with the graphics and everything, but you know, it's, it's just me. I'm just pulling all this together. So anyways, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, what else do I got to tell you about? I, yeah, playing a show in a couple weeks, chain reaction. Yeah, the show is now sold out. So, uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe you can find a ticket somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's a chain reaction. It'll be a whole lot of fun. It's with taken and curl up and die. It's, yeah, it's going to feel really weird (laughs) just because, um, you know, it's going to feel like it's like 2002 all over again in in the best way possible. And I don't mean that in a, oh man, just nostalgia and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, this is going to be really fun because, uh, everybody is still very serious about the art they put out there as far as a music, musical perspective. So anyways, very excited about that. And, um, I'm very excited about this discussion I had with James because I was, um, or sorry, I should call him the human furnace. Cause I mean, really, that's what most people know him as. Um, I didn't really know, I I didn't really know where he kind of sat in my head. It was like, I I saw Ringworm not too long ago on tour with Harm's Way and I've always enjoyed the band. You know, I haven't ridden as hard for Ringworm as I have for other bands in regards to like, you know, integrity and like a lot of the other sort of, you know, quote unquote classics as it were. But every time I listen to Ringworm, I'm just always like, oh man, they rule. They're so good. And, uh, so I had to kind of you know, reconcile that in my own head to be like, oh yeah, actually, you know what? I would like to talk to Human Furnace publicist who pitched this to me. So let's see what we can do. And after I got on the phone with him and talked to him, it was great because he is uh, just a unique individual, been tattooing for most of his life, um, loves horror movies, just a lot of cool stuff that, uh, you know, I felt a kinship with him on. So that's what we did here. And that's what I want to tell you about, or actually I don't need to tell you because you're here. So how about you listen? Okay. That's what we're doing. I'll talk to you after the episode is over. So I'm, I'm 38, so I definitely got into you guys, you know, basically via integrity, where it was like, you know, once I started to, you know, be aware of uh, of that band, and they, you know, continually referenced you guys as far as like, oh yeah, we played shows with them and very influential and all that sort of stuff. Um, the but then it wasn't honestly until uh, you know once you started to put uh, records out uh, via Victory is where I really you know grew more of a fondness for. And I'm sure it's interesting for you, uh, you know, considering the fact that the band has been around for a long time, that there's all these jumping off points for people, like different ways to get into the band. Um, is it right? You know, is it? I, I'm sure it's just cool for you to hear, you know, people's stories on like, oh yeah, like you know, <laughs> I got into you guys the promise, or like <laughs> other people are like, oh yeah, I didn't find out about you know Ringworm until the last record. Um, how does that kind of make, sure. make you feel? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, whatever works. You know, whatever works, everybody's, you know, has different, uh, 
everyone has different ways of going about things and different age groups, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of the time it's kind of weird. I wouldn't expect like someone that's say younger than you or someone like a younger person who's 25 to be like, Oh yeah, I got into you through your first record because they weren't even born then, you know? But you know, there is like when actually a lot of people that are younger got into us when, um, through our first record, when, um, death wish reissued it. Um, I'm not sure when that was, that was a few years ago, but they reissued our first record and a lot of people got into us that way through our first record. So, um, yeah, I guess when you have as many records and you've been around for so long, it's, there's all different types of avenues that people kind of either stumble across your band or, you know, run head first into it somewhere, you know? So it's, I guess it's pretty cool. Whatever works, you know? Right. Yeah. You're like, as long as they're paying attention, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, I, yeah. if they do, they do, they don't, they don't, you know? Yeah. Well, especially too, cause I mean, it seems like ringworm exists in this, uh, this area where, you know, you guys work hard and you put out, you know, records and you tour. Um, but you know, clearly you all have lives beyond the band. Um, and so I'm sure, I'm sure in many respects that, uh, basically fills the sort of, you know, creativity in order for you guys to, you know, write more music and stuff is the actual experiences that you're having in your real life. That's correct. Well, for me anyways, I can only speak for myself, but, um, yeah, I mean, life, life, those experiences. And that's kind of what on my level, like personally, I, I have to write about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, when, and I'm sure you've seen this and experienced, uh, you know, many friends kind of going into this pattern of uh, perpetually being on the road and never really being able to talk about anything besides like, you know, the last three tours they've been on. And you're like, I mean, that's cool. Like, I know what tours like, but, you know, what else is there? Yeah, you know, I guess I guess you're right. I mean, you know, when when the band, when when your band becomes your life, I mean, not that ringworm isn't our quote unquote, you know, my life. It's part, it's a huge part of my life. It's been a huge part of my life since I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So it is a part of my life and it does kind of, you know, it does interject itself into like the things that happen in my life, you know, as far as like the things you have to sacrifice to do the band. And, you know, like here's, here's like a, a like when someone asks you, like when someone hears our band and they're like, God, you know, why are you so angry? You know, I'm like, well, I'm angry cause uh, I'm in a band, <laughs> you know, and I'm in a band because I'm angry, you know? So like over time, it, they, one kind of feeds it, it, it kind of feeds itself, you know? But if you know what I'm saying there, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. uh, But, but also, I mean, when you don't, you know, some bands tour, you know, 250, 300 days a year, we don't do that. I mean, you know, you do have a tendency, you do have to recharge in between, you know, like the recording and the touring cycles that you have to do for each record and stuff like that. So real life, when you're in real life and not dealing with like, touring and bands and recording and all that shit, you do kind of recharge your batteries uh, via real life. So I guess that's, uh, you know, that's one thing that I guess that kind of helps our writing, at least least for me anyways. Sure. You know, it gives me something, yeah, you're right, it gives me something to write about when it's time to to write a new record. I'm like, well, what's going on in my life right now? Well, this is what I'm going to write about on the record. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, that uh, worked. sure, sure. 
Um, and so, you know, kind of shifting the focus to you as a person, um, you just in like, you know, sort of simple biographic nature, I wasn't able to find a ton about like, you know, where you personally, you know, like were, were born and raised. I'm going to kind of presume it was in the, in the Cleveland area, the Midwest area. Um, am I completely wrong in that? Yeah. Or, okay. No, no, no. I was, um, both me and, and, uh, Frank, our original guitar player. Um, we were, uh, we both grew up on the West side of Cleveland, like in the suburbs, um, not completely out in the sticks, but, um, not downtown either. So we're like West side suburbs. Got it. Got it. Um, and what was your, you know, kind of household made up like, um, you know, brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house? Uh, a like- couple, no, actually single parent family. My mom worked really hard. She often worked three jobs to kind of keep things above water. Got an older brother and older sister. So, which was, uh, very instrumental, like music, like, uh, musically kind of steered me and, like in a direction of kind of music I listened to growing up because my brother was 10 years older. My sister was five years older. So, you know, and then I listened to my parents. Well, my, my mother and my father had had a, had a big collection of music around the house too. So growing up, I always had tons of different things to listen to. But, um, as far as the household goes, it was just uh real simple. My mom, you know, me, my brother, my sister, my mom. So nice, nice, pretty simple family unit. And we all got along pretty well. Sure, sure. That is cool. I, I like when you know people have that uh, you know experience of having not only like you said you, you know your your mom's record collection, but then you had your older siblings being able to like show you a bunch of stuff. So you had all of these you know oh, weird yeah. influences being shoved into your head. Sure. I mean, I started. I mean, growing up, you know, I would listen to whatever is around the household, and then like if my my mom would be playing like you know Conway Twitty or Tony Bennett or. Frankie Valley, or, you know, or I would sneak into a record collection and put on Red Fox records or some Richard Pryor records that they had, you know, I would sneak those. And then my brother, he was more of kind of like a seventies disco dance type guy, um, maybe early eighties. So like early Prince, a lot of Bee Gees. he was really into the Beatles. So I kind of listened to a lot of that growing up and a lot of stuff like that. And then when it got to my sister's collection, she was kind of the gateway into the heavier stuff because she was into Van Halen and she took me to see Van Halen in 1984 and deep purple and black Sabbath and rainbow and, uh, you know, pink Floyd and all, all these other heavier bands. So that was kind of the gateway into like heavier music. And then of course I had a cousin who was a little bit younger than my sister, but older than me. And he was even a bigger gateway. He was into like, you know, the early Queensryche and merciful fate and Judas priest and iron maiden so I would get into what he was getting. He was in a band and stuff. So I thought that was super cool. So that was another gateway. And then of course, by then I was in my, you know, early teens, you know, 12, 13, 14. And, uh, then I, of course I started discovering my own, my own group of music, like punk rock and skate rock. And, and then the metal stuff obviously started to pop up in the, in the early eighties. So from there it was off to the races. And then at, at that point I just had so broad of a musical, fear that I would just soak up anything that I, that I could get my hands on and, you know, not really confine myself to one type of genre that I stuck to. So it was, it was musically, it was very, um, creative. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, it, 
yeah, clearly it's reflective in the way that, you know, Ringworm and, you know, frankly, all the musical projects that you've existed in from, you know, Holy Ghost to Gluttons and everything else, like you, um, you know, it's like, it's obviously all stemmed from the sort of aggressive nature, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, I feel comfortable leaning into a more rock and roll side, or I feel comfortable leaning into a noise side. It's like, you can, you can do that because you've had these influences. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and despite like what Ringworm sounds like or anything's been sounds like, People ask like, "What are you influenced by?" And I could be like, "Oh, like the Four Seasons," you know. And they'll right. be like, "They may not get the reference or why how that inspiration I brought into Ringworm, but it's there." You know what I mean? So I I pick and choose, and I uh, uh, you know I do autopsies on all types of music and kind of you know there's in- influences uh, from any type of music that I could bring into what what I do in Ringworm and other bands. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Even even some even some country stuff. There was always like Kenny Rogers records around the house and. Mel, Mel Tillis and Jerry Reed and all this stuff and all that stuff kind of goes into the into the cauldron when you're kind of drawing upon influences and stuff. Totally, yeah. And it's... then of course, and then of course, you know, obviously, if I could sing really well, I probably wouldn't be doing Ringworm. I'd probably be doing some some other type of band. Right, right. But I have a I have a certain skill set that you know Ringworm is more apt for what uh, you know more more in my wheelhouse as far as my vocal talent level goes so yeah yeah no <laughs> totally you're like i i realize my limitations i i know the lane i'm in yeah exactly exactly but if i could sing i would but i don't because i can't <laughs> so, <laughs> totally totally and if i did and if i did want to try i wouldn't do it in ringworm i'd start another band and give us you know give maybe singing a shot in that but i wouldn't do it in ringworm because that always ruins bands sometimes when yeah. they try to go from like the screaming into the singing. Some bands could do it well. Some bands, it's like, oh, you're just trying and it sucks. Yeah. what you could do best. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, you, you know, not not knowing you uh, as a person beyond just, you know, what gets publicly presented. Um, sure. I, you know, I'm going to kind of presume that, you know, you're, you know, coming up in like junior high and high school and stuff like that. Um, you know, clearly you were already into sort of, you know, weirdo subculture stuff by that time. Sure. Um, you know, sure. but it also seems like you, um, you know, you're like, you're friendly enough to be able to interact with people of kind of all walks of life or were you kind of sure. that, you know, person in the corner? No, I like, kind of, I mean, I, I, I was kind of like a Ferris Bueller type kid. I kind of got around, I kind of got around, uh, along with everybody. I mean, early on, like by the time I got into like, I was a freshman in high school, I was already kind of like a punk rock kid, you know? And first thing I was able to do was like when I, cause I was like the artist kid. So by the time I, when I got into like freshman art class, half of the freshman art class were like giant, huge football player seniors who just were just taking it for a simple credit, you know? So what I did was I buddied up with those guys and I would do half their artwork, their art projects for them. Nice. And then I made friends with all the football players. So they never fucked with me. So I was buddies with them and occasionally we'd, me and my other buddies would run into these dudes who normally would probably come after us and try to, you know, Hey, skater fag. And they'd try to beat us up, you know, or something for riding skateboards. Cause it just wasn't cool back then. Right. You know, they would come after us, but they'd be like, Oh, you're cool. You're with this guy. All right, cool. And my friends would be like, how the fuck do you know those guys? I'm like, ah, you know, those are my buddies. Those I are my art their, buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I do all their fucking art homework for them. So <laughs> I'm fucking cool with them. Sure. So like I was able to kind of, you know, finagle my way early on into like, you know, I guess kind of building bridges between, you know, cultural gaps, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I seem to get, and then of course, really early on, I would, I played a lot of sports. I played a lot of baseball and 
up until high school, I played, I played baseball up to junior varsity, shit like that. So a lot of my friends at a certain point in time kind of was stuck with the sports. I kind of went with skateboarding and punk rock. So, you know, a lot of my friends were still like the jocks, you know, I still hung out with them. We all went to the same parties, except, you know, they went and played football and baseball and basketball. And then I would just go see punk rock bands and, you know, yeah, you're a different you're, that route. Right. Your, your nights look different. <laughs> you were going to, well, I, there was, there was a particular time, like when I think it was maybe my freshman year and we, we were all, you know, we all played baseball growing up together and, you know, and try, you know, tried out for the varsity team. And at that point in time, the dude that was the coach, um, this fucking asshole fucking math teacher was the coach. He hated my guts. He totally hated my guts. Cause I was like a little punk rock kid. I wasn't his little cookie cutter, you know, nice, pretty jock boy. You know, I was kind of maybe an embarrassment to the team. I had red hair and fucking misfit shirts on and shit like that. So I knew I was going to get cut from the team, even though I shouldn't have been, cause I was just as good as everybody else, you know? And I'm like, Oh guys, I'm going to get cut. They're like, you're not going to get cut. I'm like, I'm going to get cut. He doesn't like me. So, you know, after like one practice, you know, one tryout, I got cut of course. And they're like, ah, oh, shit. They're like, well, I remember looking at him like, well, guys, I'm like, have a good season. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit. You know, I'm not playing baseball anymore. I think I'm going to ride my skateboard a lot and maybe listen to punk rock and who knows, maybe I'll start a band. I don't know. We'll see, but I'll, you know, I'll see you guys in school and shit. And it's kind of funny that that's exactly what happened. A couple years later, I started a band and 30 years later, I'm still doing a band, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, that, that that's cool. I, li- I like that description. Um, yeah. And I'm going to kind of, uh, I'm also going to guess that, you know, because you were swallowed up so, um, you know, clearly with like, you know, art and music and skateboarding and stuff like that. Like, did you, you know, I guess like care about school, have some sort of plan as far as like, oh, I'm going to, you know, grow up to be an architect or something like that. No, Was there any? No. no, I mean, my brother, my, I've come from a somewhat, um, uh, artistic family. My grandfather was a, he was an architect, an artist, a tool maker. He could do everything. So I, I kind of think a lot of my, I guess, creativity or skill or whatever you want to call it kind of came from my grandfather because growing up around his house, his house was just incredibly creative and all the shit that he would make. And my brother, he's creative as well, but he's more on the mechanical side. He's, uh, um, he went to uh, college for architecture and now he's a airplane mechanic. So like his creativity kind of comes from uh, on a more mechanical level. And then of course, you know, I just, ever since I could hold a pencil, I just started drawing stuff. So, um, that's kind of what I always did. And I always kind of knew that I would do something with that. And, but in school, I, I never really gave a shit about high school. Sure. I wanted to graduate. I didn't want to flunk out of there, but I just, I did just enough to graduate. And even in art, I got D's and stuff like that because I didn't really give a shit. You know, I'm like, I didn't want, uh, I knew that Cal, I kind of had a feeling that college wasn't definitely wasn't like uh, art school wasn't in the cards for me because at that time I'm like, I didn't like high school art. Like someone telling me what to do. Why would I want to go pay to go have someone <laughs> yeah. tell me what to do? You know what I mean? And, right, right. and I had scholarships. I could have gotten a lot of scholarships, which I just, which just, you know, my, drove my art teacher crazy. She would set up all these meetings for me for with these, you know, these uh, colleges to come in and talk to me and like, Oh, wow. We love your stuff. We want, you know, we want to do this for you. I'm like, nah, you know, and it drove her absolutely crazy. But, um, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, but, but, I, but honestly too, at that point I was already kind of industrious in my own ways. Cause by the time I 
you know, by the time I was in 10th grade, I was always, I was already doing like side work and like freelance artwork for anything, you know, like doing wedding portraits and signs and t-shirt designs for anybody I could. So I already had a small, a little business going by the time I was in 10th or 11th grade. So by the time a lot of my friends or peers that had gone to art school and stuff and got out, I was already kind of established with my own business as far as doing artwork, you know, and a lot of them came out of school struggling to do, you know, the artwork that they wanted. A lot of them just would end up at like at a greeting cards company doing mindless bullshit stuff. And, and they really lost their, lost their passion for it because they couldn't, they couldn't do, you know, they couldn't uh, get a job in the, the arena of, you know, the art that they wanted to do and end up doing some more commercial stuff that drove them fucking crazy and eventually just made them stop doing art at all. Sure. So, you know, so that's, but looking at it that way, school was never like college. I mean, I'm sure our college probably could have benefited me in a lot of ways, but at the time, you know, I was just, I wanted to draw skulls. I wanted to draw skulls and death and, you know, ride my skateboard and listen to punk rock and heavy metal. And that's, that's the way, that's the way I went. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I I think there, you know, I mean, you can see the way you described your, you know, teacher's frustrations is like, you can easily see where it's like, man, this kid's got a lot of potential. And like, yes, I understand he draws, you know, skulls and death and dismemberment and stuff like that. But man, he could probably also draw some other stuff, but you're like, yeah, that's just not my lane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just didn't want to do it. I mean, she's like, okay, okay. Today we're going to draw a still life of this fruit basket. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. She's yeah. Like, it'll be mean? rotting. I'm, like, nah, I'm not going to, I'll do, I'm like, I'll just do a skull. How about that? She's <laughs> like, no, you'll do the assignment. I'm like, well then I'll just take the F. And then she'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, just give me F. I don't care. So it would, it, I basically drove her fucking crazy sure. and we didn't get along. But by the time I graduated school, we had a good understanding and then kind of left, uh, we left, uh, I left high school getting along pretty well, actually with my art teacher. And then like years later, I ended up like seeing her and, she kind of followed my, 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 uh, career, I guess from afar. She's like, see, I always knew you'd make it some way. You know, I'm like, well, you know, I didn't want to draw a fruit basket, but I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> making a living drawing skulls on people. So that kind of worked out. Pardon the interruption, but I have to tell you about Sirius XM. So you probably have heard about it before, but did you know that they offer the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every single mood? They have the biggest names in talk, sports, radio, all that stuff is awesome. It's great. But a lot of people also think that like, oh yeah, it's in that, it's in my car, right? Like that's the only place I can get it. No, you can listen to it outside your car. And right now you can get your first three months of Sirius XM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash words to see the offer details and to subscribe. And for $1, you can listen to SiriusXM on your phone, at home, and online. So anywhere you are, any time of day, you can hear your favorite songs or discover new ones. SiriusXM is incredible. They have a deep, deep catalog of so much great, super genre-specific stuff. Like they, they, have, they have a Yacht Rock channel that kills it. So much fun stuff. But go to SiriusXM.com, and that's S-I-R-I-U-S-X-M.com slash words, and get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for $1. See the offer details, and the offer is available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. Sign up now. This stuff is amazing. This stuff, this service. SiriusXM, okay? $1. Do it.
now on the show. And so, you know, and clearly like, you know, when, when ringworm started to play and like, cause ringworm is not your first band. Like you played in prior bands to that, correct? Or no, no, actually. Well, me and Frank started a band called force of habit. Right. Okay. And well, actually, actually I, I didn't even start it cause me and Frank were really good friends. And, uh, before even, you know, we started doing bands and stuff like that. And Frank had started a band. This was maybe in like an 88, uh, or something. Yeah. Probably around 88. And he kind of wanted to do, uh, like a straight edge band, you know, like, uh, like confront was one of our favorite bands from Cleveland here. And, and, you know, like all the, that era of, uh, kind of straight edge, hardcore, you know, side by side, no for an answer, Sure, you know, a chain of strength and all those bands that we kind of like that, that first wave of straight edge, hardcore that came out, you know, we love all that shit. I still love all that shit, but, uh, he wanted to do something like that. And, um, so he started a band with, uh, a buddy of ours, uh, on drums and an, another local kid on bass and a friend of ours doing vocals. And I, although I was never straight edge, I just hung out and I would go to the practices and just drink like a six pack while they were working on songs. And their singer never really put a lot of motivation into it. Either he was, maybe he was too bashful or too shy. Cause we were all really young. We're all like, you know, 17 years old, never in a band. So he never really put much, put much work into it. And then one day he's like, you know what? He's like, do you want to sing? I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really straight edge. Yeah. One, one problem. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, he just, you know, that wasn't a deal breaker by any means, sure. but he's like, he's like, uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. I'll, I could scream my face off. So, you know, we did a few songs, we did some cover songs and, right away we kind of realized or maybe he realized that that band wasn't what we wanted to do. It kind of sucked. The drummer wasn't that good. Great guy, but wasn't a good drummer. Our bass player was just there because we needed a bass player. And he basically Frank had to kind of teach him to play bass, you know, so he could be the bass player, you know, it's like, I'll teach you how to play. So, and at that time, none of us were really good at our instruments. You know, we were young and just started playing. So, you know, we kind of realized that that wasn't what we wanted to do. So we kind of reset the whole thing. Me and Frank kind of went out and got another kid that went to our high school who was a metalhead to play, play drums. And we got a, uh, a ba- our bass player we got from a, a neighboring city who was already in, he had already been in a couple of like um, earlier kind of crossover punk rock type bands, hardcore type bands. So we basically just started advertising for a band that we didn't have. Sure. So we, we, we had one song and we put, we made a little ad for a demo and we said, Oh, this is like hardcore grind, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, we're like, we got a demo five song demo and, uh, Chris, uh, our friend Chris hit us up and he's like, Oh man, I want to, I want to buy that demo. So of course we were taking all the money, that we were getting from the demos and buying like 40 ounces with them sure. and just drinking our faces off as, you know, as normal. Yeah. And then, um, eventually he, he heard that we were looking for a bass player. So he shows up and he's like, all right. He's like, uh, yeah, I'll try out. He's like, well, what songs do you got? I hear you guys got the five song demo. I'm waiting to get that in the mail. I haven't got it yet. And we're like, well, it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> he's like, what? And we are like, yeah, so we're <laughs> going to write the songs now. So the person, the, the first person who bought the demo actually ended up playing on it. That's so, so good. That's so good. Yeah. I, I mean, I really some, haven't, I haven't that, heard, I haven't heard that story of the, you know, the, I mean, you've heard of a million different schemes like that, but I definitely haven't oh, heard, sure. I haven't heard of the pre-order the demo. The member actually joins the band. 
Yeah, yeah, we put that. We, I mean, this was around 19, 1990, and I remember we made up these. I mean, we put an ad in Maximum Rock and Roll, and I mean, basically, it, we weren't dishonest about it in, in a certain way because we really did need the money to make the demo. I mean, a lot of people do that. You have you, it's like a pre-sale. You know what I mean? You advertise for something, and then once you get that money, then you go make the product, and then you send it out. Yep. Which is you know, and not it's pretty standard as far as a lot of business ways. But for that, we, you know, we weren't like, we did drink a lot of the money way. I guess I could say that, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> okay. but it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. Cause when he, um, you know, when he showed up, he's like, well, when you guys going to send those demos out, I could learn the, I could learn the songs from the demo. We're like, there's no demo. You're going to be on it. He's like, well, can I get my four bucks back? We're like, Tuh, hell no. You know, we drank that. We drank that away like a couple of weeks ago, buddy. So yeah, uh, so, yeah. So, so anyways, so you joined the band. From, You're fine. Then, yeah, you joined the band. So from that point on, that's when we were like, okay, well, we're gonna be. We wrote. We had the one song, and it, you know, we practiced. It came out really good. Uh, it was, it was uh, you know, so uh, "Blind to Faith" was the first song we ever wrote. So got it. And then we're like, okay, um, I guess we're a band now. And then we're like, all right, well, I guess we need a name. So no one really had any ideas. And I think everyone was kind of expecting me to come up with something because it was so much different than the band that we, me and Frank had done before. And, um, so, uh, then that's how that kind of happened. Uh, um, but, but anyway, so yeah, that's when I kind of blurted out ringworm for no apparent reason, really. Sure. And everyone's like, okay. And that was it. No, no real deep thought behind it. We just did it and just reacted. from then it's been, that was it. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, and clearly at, at that time, like there was no, you know, there, yes, you could argue there was a blueprint for, you know, punk bands existing as far as, you know, touring and all that sort of stuff. But clearly there was no, um, you know, long-term plan slash career path where it's like, oh yes, like we will be able to make a living off of this band. Uh-huh. No, no, there was nothing like that back then. No. I mean, not for any bands like ours or even, even bands that were already maybe a little bit more established before us in, in town, like there were some really big bands that like, uh, y- you know, there was like bands like decimation and false hope and the guns and all these bands, and even like earlier, like punk rock bands, like the, like the pagans. And of course you always, there was always bands like the dead boys that you, that you knew about and stuff like that. But like, there was no blueprint. There was no like expectation of being like, okay, we're going to get a tour bus and we're going to, we're going to make some money. It was just fun. We just wanted to, you know, drink some beers, play some songs and have a good time. So there's really no expectations as far as making it a, a career, at least not then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm sure, you know, you know, as things started to happen for you guys, you know, at different points of the band's life. Um, you know, how did you personally interact with this sort of like business aspect? I mean, like you said prior, you know, in high school, you were sort of an entrepreneur and, you know, doing all these, these things and, you know, collecting money for your designs and stuff like that. Did you feel comfortable, you know, once that stuff started to play a part of the band's life or was that something you, Yeah, I mean, I took that, I took on that role. Okay. I mean, I, the business aspect of it and also like the aesthetics of it because Ringworm, whether it was Frank playing guitar or Matt playing guitar, um, they always handled the music part. I never had much say as far as any of how the music sounds. You know, like I would maybe have a little bit of input. I still do like Matt writes a song or even back then when Frank wrote a song, I'd be like, hey, can you maybe change, make that part slower or something? Just little stuff that 
sometimes they'd be like, that's cool. Or they'd be like, yeah, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about, you know? So I rarely had any input musically, but aesthetically in the lyrics, I've never been, you know, never been told how to do my lyrics either. So I always kind of took control of the aesthetics and then that kind of branched out into like, you know, our flyers and our t-shirts. And then I kind of, at a certain point kind of became the business end of the band. And I just kind of took on that role of, because early on, you know, there wasn't a lot of touring opportunities for us. And we, there, that part was really easy when we got back together and things started happening a little bit. And then there was label interest and there was touring and there was also booking shows and all that stuff that is on top of just making the music. I took that role on because I was kind of felt suited for it. And I kind of, had a pretty decent head on my shoulders as far as that went. So like the first hell, the first 20 years of the band, I pretty much did everything from the t-shirt designs to getting them printed, to selling them, to folding them, to booking the tours, to driving the van, to buying a van, to doing, I mean, pretty much everything, you know, the band pretty much just had to like write songs and play them and everything else I did. Sure. So, and did you, I mean, did, somebody had, somebody had to do it, but sure. Sure. Like, did you actually, um, I guess kind of like that role or was that, I mean, like you said, someone needed to fill it. So no, there's no I question mean, of that. It, you know, it kind of over the years that kind of put me in the role of like kind of a control freak about in a good way, sometimes about like, you know, I had, I had, I still do kind of have kind of complete control over, over, I guess our quote unquote image as far as we're represented to like, artwork wise and album cover wise. It's some bands aren't fortunate enough to have a, a person in the band that can say do artwork, you know? So they have to like kind of outsource it to either the labels or find a friend that could draw stuff, you know, uh, this band for me, it's, it's been, it's just another outlet for me. So I could use my art and kind of, you know, use my art to kind of build the aesthetic of the band, you know, and that kind of goes along with the lyrics and everything kind of is, is in line with that. So, yeah. um, and all the other stuff, I mean, I don't necessarily like to do it. And it certainly got to a point, you know, even like in recent years where the, 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 the amount of work and that you have to put into something, you know, I definitely get tired of it. You know, it's like, I'm tired of doing all this stuff. So at a certain point we're like, okay. And I couldn't do it anymore because you know, the older you get, you know, you, when you're booking shows, when you're, when you're trying to book your own tour, when you're like 21 or 22, everyone that's booking shows is your age. So you're friends with that whole scene. As as you get older, that scene stays younger. So like all my friends at a certain point that used to book shows are now married with kids. I don't know any of these younger kids anymore. So kind of, you get further away from it as you get older, you know, the scene stays the same age, you get older. So you kind of lose track and lose touch and, you know, and then you have a real job and a real life. So you can't just like devote your life to the scene and wondering what's going on in another town. You just kind of do your own thing. So it got to a point where we had to seek out management and a booking agent and stuff like that to do that. The type of shit that I did for a really long time because it just got too hard to do. And it was, it was just a tremendous amount of work to do everything, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. There comes a point where it's just like, you know, and plus like you were saying where, um, you know, you know, you can know your strengths and weaknesses, um, in regards to not only, you know, the, what you do musically and creatively, but also from a business perspective where you're like, Oh yeah, I may be really good at booking shows, but I'm terrible at like, you know, keeping merch organized or whatever. So it's like, yeah, you need, yeah, help. well I did all that. I'm pretty good at doing all that, but it just got, it just gets to be a tremendous amount of pressure. 
Yep. And you devote a, a you, you know, and also it kind of builds up resentment when, when you're the one doing all that stuff and like everyone else just can just play their instrument and that's it. And they don't have to worry about anything else. So it's like, well, I have to play my instrument too, which is singing. But so everyone does that collectively, but everything else is just me. So sometimes that could build up resentment and fucking like, there's been times I've just blown up on the band because it's like, I get so overwhelmed with all the shit that has to go into it. And like, you know, I'm like, you just get tired of doing it all. So, you know, to, to work around that problem, you, you find, you, you try to find good people that to surround you with that you can trust to do that type of some of that other stuff and, you know, outsource it where you can maybe, you know, get some of the band to help you out with some stuff and, and, you know, go from there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I think you're, you hit the nail right on the head where when, uh, someone else is helping handle that sort of business stuff, then yeah, it doesn't, uh, have to be those awkward moments where it's just like, Oh, like, well, you know, well, this, this, this is what James wants. So of course I guess we'll do it. Like, what about the rest of the guys? Yeah. yeah you start to have that weird, you know, uh, unbalance. Well, of the way. You usually, usually any type of, any type of argument stems from me because <laughs> no one, no one really, no one really wants to do anything and someone sure. ha- it has to get done. So for years I just did it, you know, booking the hotels and paying for the hotels. When we get to a, you know, after a show, everyone's passed out drunk. Well, who, 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 who got the hotel? Well, I did, you know, who was driving? Well, me, you know what I mean? So it's a lot of responsibility when sometimes you just want to like, you don't want to do it, you know what I mean? And, but someone has to do it. So, you know, you get, and you get used to that role and you, and then other people get used to having you having that role too. And they take, you know, they're like, Oh, well, James will do it. You know what I mean? James yeah. will do it. I have to do that. James will do it. And then over time that gets, you know, you, you, people find a certain comfortable level and you're like, eh, you know, but you know, over the years we've been able to, to modify that and make, you know, take pressure off me and make everybody happy and the job still gets done. So yeah, absolutely. that's just part, that's just part of, you know, there's lots of bands that like, you know, one member of the band kind of runs the show, you know, there's lots of bands like that. You know, one has a business mind and runs everything and that's okay. You know, I mean, uh, you know, like, like if you look at bands, say like Hatebreed, I mean, you know, Jamie Josta is kind of like the, you know, the, the, the brain behind that, you know what I mean? He kind of, he kind of like is the, uh, the, the boss, you know what I mean? Totally. So he kind of runs, he kind of runs the show there. So you, a lot of bands do that, you know, and that's okay. And, and everyone's cool. They show up and do their job and, you know, one person is suited for that and they do that. So, but for us, it would just got a little bit too much pressure on me. So we kind of made some adjustments over the years and that's just something you go through as a band when you're around for as long as you are. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you... 
to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Support for today's show and, frankly, support for my life comes from Sonos. They are the best speakers in the game, and they meticulously design every speaker from the inside out. They're experts in acoustics and engineering, even work with Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists to ensure an immersive listening experience. Getting started is like the easiest thing ever. You just plug your speaker in, open the app, and then connect all your favorite, favorite streaming services. You start with one speaker and you can build more into your home. You can also connect your TV or turntable to listen to everything that you love. And they all work together seamlessly so you can customize your own sound system. Now, I cannot tell you how much I love Sonos before they even came on this very show to hook us, hook me up with a Play 5, which was the easiest thing ever to set up. In less than five minutes, you were streaming music to whatever room you're setting it up in. And I was able to connect my Play 5 with an older model that I had, and I was able to hook it up in my son's room where he was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I can listen to music while you are listening to a different song downstairs. It is awesome. Like I, I used to just be like, okay, well, you know, when I'm not in my office and I'm downstairs working, I'm just going to listen to my music on my computer. But now that I'm porting it over to my speaker, I am listening to more music than I ever have before, which sounds even, that sounds crazy to me, but it is the absolute God's honest truth. So I love it so much. And you need to go to Sonos.com to learn more, but their devices are absolutely incredible. I recommend it for anybody who is a lover of music, who is a lover of sound to dive into Sonos. Okay, please do that up and your life will be better. Okay. Sonos.com to learn more. Something that, you know, has clearly been mythologized and spoken about many times over as far as the, um, you know, polarization of the Cleveland scene. I mean, I, speaking from a person who lives in Southern California and, you know, there was always, mm-hmm. that, there was always that like, oh yeah, Cleveland is like, you know, hyper violent and like, you know, people, like the moment you drive into the town, people will kill you. Like, of course, I'm just exaggerating, <laughs> but, um, you know, sure. I, I'm sure as you started to get out and play shows outside of your general area and the reputation started to, you know, kind of get reflected back on you was it um you know was it interesting for you to kind of see that from you know the inside out um or was that just something that um, you were like whatever no, I'm I mean, ignoring it i guess i guess um at one point you know cleveland had a reputation as a really violent scene and i guess you know that was back then um i guess you could say that was right i mean you know when i guess a certain type of you know um when the mosh pit started changing, you know, when it turned from just like circle pits and head banging to like kind of push pits. And then the music got more, you know, violent and purposely violent and, and the riffs got harder and heavier and, you know, the dancing got harder and then it turned into like swinging fists and kicking and doing mule kicks and stuff like that. So, and that was kind of the scene back then, you know, and, and these days it, with a lot of younger bands, it's definitely the scene like, you know, pits are hyper violent now and it's, it's not really my thing, but, um, when we first started traveling, you know, um, and even like these days too, it's like, you know, we'll play some songs and we'll, we'll play some towns where people absolutely lose their mind. And just, it's basically just a fist fight. And it's, sure. it's kind of weird to see, but that, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of it, but when I, you know, when I sit back and think about it, I'm like, well, you know, it's angry music for angry people. And it, it, it elicits different responses. 
And these days, um, super violent pits are kind of the norm. It's kind of what young people, so a lot of people just come to expect when they go to a show like that. They're like, oh, that's what happens. You know, it's like a normal thing. So that's what people normally do when it's, it didn't used to be that violent, you know? So even though, even though I don't, I'm not a fan of it, I, I understand kind of how that happens and what goes on. Um, but early on, it just, uh, you hear things like, you know, like you were saying, like, oh, Cleveland's pretty crazy, huh? I'm like, you know, and you don't want to, you know, there, there is some things that went down and you're like, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, for us, it's when you're living there, it just seems normal to you. So, um, sure. It's something that, you know, yeah, it's something you're used to until you get to experience something else. And you're kind of like, oh, well, maybe in comparison, like, yes, it is. But it's definitely not like this. And, you know, you just have more. Yeah, I mean, you've gotten to places where like, God damn, you guys are fucking crazy. You know, I thought this town was crazy, but you guys are fucking insane, you know? And then you get to towns where you think it's going to be completely bananas and it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty polite and well-mannered. So, um, yeah, you get, you get different takes from all over, all, all over the country. So. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, as you started to, uh, you know, tour and, and get out and experience all of that, uh, was your relationship with tour always something that, uh, you enjoyed, uh, initially? And then, you know, once maybe you did a little bit more, it, it kind of changed or how, what, what does that yeah, look like? I in mean, your head? I mean the, when you first start going out, it's, it's obviously it's, and it's an adventure and you're like excited about the fact that you're, you're able to go somewhere different than your hometown. And there's people there that want to hear your music. That's like, that's a good feeling. You're like, wow, this is great. I can't, I mean, we went to Europe in 95 and, um, you know, we played like fucking Bulgaria and it's like, <laughs> or somewhere right around there. And then there was people that knew your songs and that was just like a weird thing. The, the first time I kind of had a feeling like, wow, there's people that are like, know this material. I mean, I wrote these words in my bedrooms, you know, sitting on my fucking bed or on my couch in my house. And here we are halfway, you know, thousands of miles away in another, you know, European country. And these people know the words. So, you know, it becomes that, that part of it's, it's always special when you, and you feel privileged to be able to travel and play your music for people. And early on, that was super exciting. And it still is to this day, because we still love doing it. We love to travel love meeting new people and getting to play your music. And it's really cool. And you get to see a lot of crazy shit and you get to experience lots of cool cultures and see all types of stuff that a normal person would never do in their life, you know? And that happens usually in one tour, I mean, let alone doing, you know, hundreds of tours or whatever. Right. So, but as you get older, you know, you get more responsibilities, you know, you have businesses, you have families, you have bills, you have pets, you have, all types of stuff that comes with getting older. So the older you get, the harder it, the harder it gets in respects to like your responsibilities and, you know, grown up type stuff, you know, real life type stuff that you have to deal with that you didn't have to when you were 19 or 20 or 21. So, you know, back then you don't care if you're sleeping on someone's couch when you get home from tour or you're living off your girlfriend, you know, but when you're, you know, when you're like 45, almost, you know, 47, 48, 50, that, and then you're like, okay, you know, you've got to make sure your bills are paid before you leave. You know, money becomes an issue because you've got to pay your bills when you get home, all that type of stuff. So it gets harder in that aspect. And physically, you know, you beat yourself up. We're not traveling in nice fancy tour buses. We're still cruising around in a fucking smelly van. So that takes its toll on you physically. But 
you know, when it's all said and done, we still love doing it. And all the reasons why we like doing it are still there, but you just got some other stuff that you have to kind of deal with that makes it more difficult to do. But sure. Other than that, other than that, it's still, it's still a fucking blast. And plus it helps when you get along, obviously with the people that you're out with, you know, if you go out with people that you can't stand the way they breathe, then you're going to have a rough time. And that happens sometimes when you're living with like, four or five other guys in a van, you know, you get on your nerves, you know, you get on everybody's nerves at one point or other, but that's, that's the nature of it. But yeah, in a cramped space, we're all, we're for the most part, we're all great friends and we have been for, for years and years and years. So that makes that whole traveling experience so much easier to do. Absolutely. No, it makes sense. Um, and and Mm -hmm. ringworm has always fallen into this, this really interesting category where, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard this expression before. You guys are definitely a band's band where it's like so many bands enjoy touring with you because they actually like, like your music, you know? And then like, yes, you draw some people to shows too. (laughs) Um, and so you, you guys have fallen into that, that interesting category that, um, you know, you've, you've had, you've been able to do a wide variety of tours, um, you know, not only sonically speaking, but just like tours where it's like what you guys are the odd band out but you know it makes sense sure um do you yeah i guess do you like that experience of being like yo we are the like absolute weirdos on this tour or is it like you know i, I like to fit in just a little bit well i, I we i mean you got to learn to like what you get sometimes but you know i enjoy being like kind of the standout band bands that like one of these things is not like the other because there are people walk away from like either whether they like you or they hate you, which happens sometimes if you're, if you're the odd man out on a bill, so to speak, you don't really fit in so much with the other, with the other bands on the package, you know, to, to maybe like the, the more simpler um, opinion. If you look at it, like, wow, if like, say if an outsider looked at a tour, like some, like they would look at all the bands, like, yeah, they're all the same. But people that are in the scene, sometimes they'd be like, well, this band's like, why is Ringworm touring with these guys, you know, or whatever. Um, I enjoy that because, you know, they walk away remembering you. That's for sure. You don't kind of get mushed in with everybody else or kind of forgot and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot that band played. You know, when you play, people notice. And like, whether they like you or not, that's irrelevant. You know, they just, they remember you and they pay attention because it's something different. It's making, making them kind of pay attention a little bit more because it is different than, what they've been hearing that that particular night or on that tour or whatever. Um, so that's always good. I mean, and that happens to us a lot because we kind of bend genres so much with what we do. I mean, we could go out and play with, I hate God, or we could go out with goat horror, you know, or we could go out with the, uh, we've been out with just, you know, your more stereotypical, I guess, hardcore bands. We could, you know, we've gone out with terror. We've gone out with, you know, like I said, goat whore, we've done, we went out with Voivod and Napalm Death. I mean, we could kind of, we could kind of, we're kind of like a chameleon. We could kind of go with anybody and still kind of do our thing. And it still seems to go over pretty well. So that's one good thing about kind of our style that we do, that we could kind of, kind of go anywhere we want to with it. But also in a way it's, it's, it is somewhat of a detriment because you fall into a category which, you know, I've said before, we, we end up becoming, you know, too hardcore for metal and too metal for hardcore. Cause sometimes some audiences don't, don't get us on either side. You know, we can play a straight up hardcore package and people just, you know, when predominantly most of our music these days is mostly a lot of thrash beat thrash metal tempos and a lot of grind stuff and really fast. 
And a lot of hardcore audiences just stand there and look at you because they don't know what to do with that. They don't bang their heads. They don't circle pit. They don't regular mosh. They just sit around and kind of wait for the breakdown, you know? Sure. So, and a lot of, you know, when we do those type of tours, we get a lot of staring, standing around looking at us, you know, like, okay, well, I don't do that. So, and then we'll go play like on a metal bill and that goes over really, that goes over honestly a little bit better because most of our materials kind of thrash oriented. And then you'll get, you'll get uh, some young heavy metal kid be like, wow, you guys are great. Are you guys a new band? And we're like, <laughs> no, you know, we're older than you, you know, we were around before you were born. They just wouldn't think to look to seek us out because maybe at some point they heard our name, but they just were told that we were a hardcore band and didn't really give it a time of day. Cause they're not into hardcore, you know? So totally, you know, our, I guess our, our, our crossoverness quality to us, you know, our kind of blending that what we do and not sticking to one solid genre, so to speak, is great because it just gives us, we could do whatever we want and we don't worry about what we're doing. We could kind of blend in or, or kind of fit with all types of acts, but also in a way, you know, when you get stereotyped, you know, as one thing, uh, another, another audience may not give it the time of day. So it's kind of been, a blessing and sometimes a curse to be to do what we do because we don't fit right into a certain genre, you know. Yeah. And people like their job. People like to like their genres and they like their labels because it just makes everything easier to consume and easier to promote and sell. So you know, labels or whoever has to find you has to find a label for everybody so they can sell it to their audience and some the audience buys it sometimes because. You're like, oh, well, I like metal, so that's metal. I I don't like hardcore, so I won't listen to that. So, you know, there's that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro, pros and cons. I totally get that. Um, sure. You know, uh, asking you about your, um, your your tattoo career. Um, you know, because clearly, like you said, that's that's something that you have done. Well, not tattooing, but art and you know, doodling and all that stuff, transferring over to your your tattoo oh, yeah. artistry. Um, sure. when, did, when did you first start messing around with tat- tattooing? Like, was that I've, something I've in high school? Yeah. I mean, that's something I started. I've been tattooing almost as long as I've been doing the band. I started tattooing like in 1990 and, um, not seriously, but I started like getting interested and, you know, getting my first tattoo when I was around 18 years old. So I started getting interested in it and I started kind of doing it a little bit because some of my peers had started. And then a lot of my friends were starting to get tattoos so they would come to me to draw it up for them and they would take it to uh, a local tattooer that we had around here that everyone kind of go to. Cause back then there wasn't a tattoo shop on every corner. So, you know, and then after a while, um, that artist was like, who's drawing all these things for you? And like, Oh, our buddy. And he kind of gave me, he's like, why don't you start doing this? And then a lot of my friends were starting to do it. So I kind of started getting into it. And, uh, you know, by 91, 92, I was, I was in, you know, that was, that was what I was going to do. And then of course, by 1993, uh, ringworm had broken up. Frank had left to join integrity at the time and ringworm was pretty much dead in the water. So at that point in time, any dreams kind of going back to your, one of the questions earlier at that point, like when we put our first record out, it did really well. Our demo did great. Our first record did really well, really well received. And you kind of had that, you kind of had that feeling like, all right, we're going to, we're going to tour and we're going to, make this band a fucking thing. 
And then the rug kind of got swept out when, you know, Frank left to join integrity, which was doing exceptionally well at the time, you know? And so for me being like kind of left holding the bag and, and nothing to do, like with the band being defunct, I'm like, well, I need really something to, you know, there's not going to be any rock and roll fantasies here in my life. So I need to kind of do something with my life and get a career. And that's, that's the point between like 93 and around 97. Um, when the band got back together again, those three years were super important for me because that's when I kind of focused on tattooing and actually giving myself a livelihood and a career that I could do for forever. So that was a pretty important time. So actually in a way, Ringworm breaking up for that period of time and giving me the opportunity to build a career like that actually kind of saved the band. Cause when we got back together, you know, I was established enough that I could leave and go on tour and, and do all the things that, you know, bands needed to do and still had the security of a, a career and a business to come home to. Yeah. So no, that's, that's a, that, hu- that, that was a huge that was, point. That was a huge thing. Yeah. That was a huge thing because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the older you get, you know, when you try to do this stuff, you know, that's why you see a lot of bands as they get, as they get older or they, you know, they try to continue being a band. You see like a lot of times it's like two or three, maybe one of the original members because the other guys in the bands, they just, there's no money in it. They can't afford their bills. You know, like I would love to play in the band, but I can't tour, you know what I mean? Because I've got a wife and a kid now, you know what I mean? So you end up getting younger members that are like younger people in the band because they could still, they're still young. They could go through all their life away and not care. Right. You know, whereas other, when other people, you know, the older people, they still love playing the music. They still want to do it, but they're, they're kind of confined to not being able to tour and to, you know, and to go do what, uh, uh, you know, bands need to do. So that's kind of what happens there. So, I mean, I sometimes have sympathy for like when, when bands get you back together and they, they have a lot of like new members or whatever. And a lot of people just rip on them for that because, Oh, it's not even the original guys. It's like, dude, do you want to hear this music or not? Because you're not going to hear it because these original guys have real lives. You know, these guys are girls, whoever's in the band, you know, it's like they got real lives that they have to fuck it to and they can't just throw their fucking life away and, you know, take off in the band around, for yeah, a right, month right, right, yeah, and come, come home with 300 bucks and they fucking, their house gets foreclosed on. You know, younger people don't really think that way, at least not yet. When they get older, they will. But, um, yeah, anyways, getting back to the other point, yeah, because band broke up, that kind of gave the band actually an opportunity to survive as long as it has because it kind of opened up the door for me to kind of establish a business. And now I've been doing my tattoo shop for 22 years. So yeah. I can leave and go do these tours and everyone else in the band is kind of, is financially stable in that way. So there we, you know, now we've got, you know, the solid core of the band that can tour and travel at this age, you know? So it, it worked out and it, it works out so we can still, you know, you can do still what exist. we need to do and be a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's really, that's really cool. I, I do like that, uh, that perspective of the fact that it's like, yes, the, um, the, the time away from the band is, it gives everybody an opportunity to, you know, get their footing and then you can, yeah. It, you know, all, all these things can coexist together as opposed to like, you know, it's either yeah. all or nothing. Yeah, it was, it was crucial. That was a crucial time. It kind of sucked, but like, because the band was doing really well and I always thought Ringworm could do even like, you know, after our first record, we could have done so much more because we never really had the opportunity to tour uh, for our first record or, or, or any type of thing this, except for regionally. And there was a good demand for it. And we could have done a lot more. And then, 
you know, when, when the band just kind of ended abruptly like that, it just kind of really sucked. It was kind of like a wake up call, like, fuck, you know, like I'm not going to be a rock star. You know what I mean? And there's no fucking, there's no future in this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've got to do something. I've got to do something in real life. And that kind of sucked, but that just led me to, 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 to go take to tattooing a hundred percent, um, for, for legit and be for real with it and really focused on that. And that, that, that part right there has made the whole difference because when the band got back together and, you know, we started putting out records again and that, that same interest was there to like finding another label and then doing tours. Um, I would, I, if I didn't have a job or anything like that or a career or anything, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it or, it would only lasted another couple of years because we wouldn't have made any money. And I would have been like, I can't do this band anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I'm fucking, you know, I'm 27 years old and I don't have a job. I can't do this. So, but because the band broke up for that little period of time, it gave me, you know, the kick in the ass to try to do, get a career. And that's kind of saved the band because now I've got that and I could continue doing the band and not have to worry about that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. The last, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, clearly it's like, <laughs> I think almost every time you guys are a part of like a, you know, a press cycle in some capacity, everyone always is just mm-hmm. like, oh, dude, like, look at, you know, look at James's like crazy horror collection and like, look at this. And, you know, it, it's, um, mm-hmm. it, 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 I don't know why people find that like surprising that people that are into, you know, aggressive music, like, you know, also like horror films and horror movies and stuff. Sure. Like that. I mean, they, they don't necessarily go hand in hand, but like you're in the same ballpark, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure in many respects where it's like, you know, cause people can clearly link the two, um, you know, subcultures of like, you know, weirdo cult movies and, you know, weirdo outsider music. Um, you know, sure. so how, you know, how is it that most people interact with, uh, I mean, you know, because you are a tattoo artist and all these things, like people expect a certain thing of you and from you. Um, but then, you know, how, how is it that people interact with you where they're like, oh yeah, like I know James as the tattoo artist, but like, oh man, he has this wild band or like, you know, the horror people are yeah. like, oh, like, you know, James is this yeah, person I, I know, I, I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I kind of, for me, I mean, I wear a lot of hats, you know what I mean? Cause I do tattooing and a lot of people just know me from that, you know what I mean? And then eventually be like, oh yeah, well I can't tattoo you next week cause I'm going out of town for a month. They're like, oh really? Where are you going? I'm like, oh. I got a band and I go on tour and they're like, really? And I've been tattooing some of these people for years, you know, and sometimes our songs will even come up on my iPod when we're tattooing and I won't ever say anything, you know? And then eventually be like, oh yeah, this is my band right here. And they're like, what? That's you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. They're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, oh, so you've been in a band? I'm like, yeah, 30 years. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we've been all over the place. You know, I don't, you really use it as kind of currency for anything, you know, but you know, so that's, so, so the people on that side, are like kind of perplexed, like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe you fucking sound like that. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's what people sound like when they scream as loud as they fucking can at every possible moment, you know? And then vice versa, you know, I've been doing tours and people, you know, I would talk, you know, obviously in, in our, this scene, like tattooing and, and most scenes really, but tattooing's huge, you know, and a lot of people do it now, but for the longest time, people, you know, we'd be talking about tattoos and I'd be like, Oh, I do tattoos. You know, they'd be like, really? I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for, you know, 25, 30 years. Like no shit. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Or they'll look at the artwork on our album covers and be like, wow, that's really cool. Who did that? I'm like, I did that. And they're like, you did? 
You know, yeah. like, yeah, I did that. I did all these and all the t-shirt designs. I did all those too. And they're like, get out of here. I'm like, yeah, you know, what the fuck, you know? Sure. sure. So, uh, you know, and then with the horror stuff, I, you know, I go to a lot, some, a lot of horror conventions and shit like that. And, uh, you know, you usually get on the, the, those topics of music or what, what you have in common as far as movies you like. And sometimes, you know, either the tattooing or the, the band will come up and, you know, I either mention it or I don't, but, um, they all kind of go hand in hand, you know, so I don't kind of use one to play off the other. I just, it's a, I do a lot of stuff that I, that I like to do. So yeah, it's all kind of in the same ballpark and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty funny when, you know, and I'm, and, and honestly, my collection isn't what it used to be, to be honest with you, because I, I got to the point where I was at maximum capacity at where I live, right? you know, so I haven't actively collected in like 10 years because I've got so much shit. So I'm kind of trying to downsize a lot of my stuff so I can make room for, to start collecting again. Cause I love, I love the nature of the hunt, you know, looking for stuff that you can't find and you know, the, 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 you know, just the, the thrill of the chase type of thing. So I yeah. haven't had to do that in a long time because I just don't have any room for anything. So I'm trying to, I'm starting to downsize some stuff. So some of the stuff that's not essential to my collection. And so I could go out and start avidly collecting again and wasting some money. But, um, yeah, I've got quite a few things. I know some people that are collections are insane, yeah. but you know, that's you got to draw a line eventually. Uh, well, I would love to do that. I just don't have a big enough house. Really, if I had a bigger house, I'd have more stuff. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's anyways, not, that's going not back, the case. Anyways, going back to your point, um, yeah, they all all my all my kind of hobbies seem to you know dwell in the same type of uh, universe, and they all kind of they all kind of meet up at some certain points, you know, with with certain people. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm, <laughs> it's fun. I'm even into, I'm even into, I'm really heavily into baseball too. Sure. And I'm a huge, huge, huge baseball fan. I even just started, I, I have a t-shirt company called heavy metal baseball and I just kind of take logos and make, make heavy metal logos out of like player logos and, and, and our baseball team's logos and shit. I make heavy metal versions of those and sell t-shirts to those. So I always find a way, even if it's like, like baseball, which has really nothing to do with horror, horror movies or heavy metal. I kind of find a way to bridge the gap there and try to bring that into my universe as well. So yeah, I don't it's know. Fun. Well, it's, it's, it's fun too, because I think that, uh, you know, that that's human nature for, for people that are curious and people that are passionate about stuff, you know, they start to really weave this, you know, this tapestry of interest that kind of fall all over the place. And I think that, sure. you know, people that just focus on like, oh yeah, like I'm a, I'm a fisherman and like, that's it. And it's like, yeah, that can be one component of you, but like, that doesn't have to like completely define you just like, you know, all right, the vocalist of Ring where I'm like, that's just one component of who I am as opposed to this, you know. Well, that's cool. I mean, so like, like it's funny you say fisherman because our, our drummer is an avid fisherman uh-huh. and he is all about it. That is his thing. So, but he's also into like playing drums and, uh, you know, and, and all types of uh, rock and roll type shit. He's in tons of like, he's in like ACDC cover bands and he's in like uh, Aerosmith cover bands and all types of other bands. So, but fishing is his thing. So, you know, he likes fishing. I like yeah, horror like horror. related right, stuff. Exactly. So yeah, so it's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, James, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. This was uh, enjoyable for me, and I hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, it was fine, man. I actually 
I like these, uh, these podcasts are actually pretty nice because you, you've got the opportunity to kind of, which I always tend to do is trail off subject and get into like, get into topics that have nothing to do with the question, but oftentimes those are like the best, the best, uh, you know, the best threads to go with because you get into some weird territory that you weren't expecting. Yes, loved that chat with Mr. James Bullock, Human Furnace. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to Mr. Freeman who helped uh, pull this interview together. I doubt that he's listening to this, but if he is, maybe he'll get a little smile out of that. Anyways, um, I'm going to go back to vacation, okay? Can you please, like, leave me alone for a minute? <laughs> Not really. You don't. It's okay. You don't need to leave me alone. But next week, we have Ian Fike from the band It Prevails, uh, which means a lot to a lot of people and then also probably maybe doesn't mean anything to you because you're like it prevails i've never heard of that band before um kind of a you know a cult classic within the melodic hardcore scene and uh he has had an absolutely crazy journey and he was very revealing with me about his uh you know his battles with some pretty pretty dark stuff so i'm looking forward to uh sharing that with you next week because i i hope it's helpful and hopeful for for some of you that may be going through some dark stuff in your life so anyways that's what we got next week special shout out to sirius xm they offer amazing commercial free music plus sports talk comedy news they have it all and get your first three months of sirius xm outside the car for just one dollar go to siriusxm.com slash words to see the offer details and to subscribe that's sirius s-i-r-i-u-s xm.com slash words the offer is only available to new streaming subscribers to Sirius XM. Sirius XM, no car required. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work yes hi did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can I go to get caught up know. on what is yes. happening are you yes are you confused about that you're talking about the daily zeitgeist to show to that make we do sure every day. you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day twice a day talk about what is happening and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul yeah i think at the daily zeitgeist we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening so guys listen to the daily zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free